Well, well, we'll see if, if this experiment will work. I, I want to, by, by the way, anyone that has any kind of Swedish background or Scandinavian background, would you just kind of raise your hand? Oh, gosh, this is, okay, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to, I'm going to try this. So if you're familiar with the covenant at all, you've, you've no doubt heard a Sven and Oli joke, Okay. <laughs> And so, yeah, Marilyn, you keep laughing. I hope you laugh at the end of this. So this is a Sven and Oli joke, okay? I'm going to try to work on it. So Oli is pastor of the local Norwegian Lutheran church, and Sven is the pastor of the Swedish Covenant Church across the road. And one day they are seen pounding a sign into the road, and it says, Da end is near. Turn yourself around and before it's too late. So this car comes speeding by the sign and he rolls down the window and he goes, You Scandinavian crazy religious fanatics, just leave us alone. And as the car goes around the bend, you hear this uh, screech and splash. <laughs> Shaking his head. Reverend Oli says, that's the third one this morning. <laughs> yeah, says Pastor Swin, do you think maybe the sign should just say bridge out? <laughs> Woo! Okay. Tell John if he just needs a warm-up sometime for <laughs> Swedish. The blessed hope is of the second coming of Jesus. And yet, bearer of bad news that turns into good news. Often the hope is mismessaged as a method to scare souls into heaven and find Jesus. Or even as an intellectual curiosities. Even the apostles in Acts 1 said, Lord, now is it time that you would bring about the kingdom? I find it fascinating even in myself that I want to know more than I can do. And I believe that many of us could agree that we are far more educated than our obedience takes us. This, this thirst for some kind of inside knowledge is pervasive to the second coming of Jesus when you get to the teachings of those in the Bible, something opens up that's, that's quite amazing. The question today is, how does hardship bring encouragement and hope? How does this, this sense of what happens at the end of days really bring encouragement and hope? And the answer is this, it clarifies what is important. So many of you have gone on a, a, a cruise vacation. And so when you go on one of these things, you're thinking about your luggage, the itinerary, what about the cool excursions, all the food and all of that. And your, your mind's just kind of busy with all of that, right? But if the ship hits an iceberg and it's starting to sink, life all of a sudden clarifies and gets real simple. Everyone's saying, where are the lifeboats? 
all of a sudden the fun and games and the options are over and it's just come down to what is important. And the blessed hope brings us to a place of really understanding what is important right here, right now. Especially if we believe Jesus and Paul and Peter. That it could be just that quick. I may be rescued from my last day of work before the end of this sermon. And that's the blessed hope. Or is it? Or do we still have other things on our dance cart? You see, the reality is to bring us to what is most important. The context as we've been moving through this great book of hope, Thessalonians, we're now going to straddle chapter 4 and 5. Uh, the context here is threefold. There is intense persecution for the Thessalonians. They, number two, they are attached to their, their worldly beloved, and they're not sure what to do with that. And number three, they have a, a false self-security. The temptation that isn't God going to do everything the way I think it should be? So maybe you could relate to one or two or all three of those things. I, I don't think it's that hard. And think this morning about this message because the message of the blessed hope is first and foremost in the reason for why this is happening anyway. So look with me in, uh, in verse 13 where we left off last week of chapter 4. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with Him. You see, there's a reason for the second coming. And, and the first, it brings present day hope. There is a present day hope that in the hardship of life as we know it with Jesus. Just... just Imagine for a moment someone who is trying to live life without the hope of Jesus. But even in the hardship and the difficulties that we face, that we prayed for this morning, there is a present hope that Jesus has left us here so that those who do not know God may have yet an opportunity to hear the good news from us who you might think would be immune to all these things because we're God's friends, but has left us unimmune so that we would trust in God. Every one of our lives is a living infomercial to someone who doesn't know Jesus of how to get through the most difficult things and not get our way, but give glory to God. <laughs> That's our purpose. That's our, why am I here with all of this? Exactly. That's it. That's what we do. Some of us are holding our nose and waiting for some kind of rescue. Jesus is saying, breathe deep. The life, the world, it's calamity, and shine bright. Salt and light for Jesus. The reason also brings a future hope. For we're barely understanding, 
at least I am, that this life is a mere shadow of the life to come. It's not even as real as the life to come. Just uh, Gail and I have been reading C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce again at night before we go to bed. Just a, an amazing small book of, of fiction about how hard hearts can be and how real God is and the, and, and the, and the space in between. That the future to come is not the end, but is the womb of heaven and eternity. Death is not it. Death is the doorway. This is the hope of our future. You see, we have this opportunity to live in eternity. The blessing of the relationships that we know now will, will, be, will be ten times Thousands of times more the relationships that we know here when we're singing these songs in heaven. This is choir rehearsal, right? And, and, and not only the relationships, but the insights and the thoughts will become much more clear. And we're, we're so sure we have to understand everything now and get it all nailed down. And maybe God is, is wanting something else. Have you noticed in Scripture... And have you noticed in our culture that we esteem achievement, accomplishments, we got things done, all for God, you know? The, uh, but God in Scripture esteems His glory. He wants us to waste time with Him, adoring Him. Instead of getting things done. And that's... What, this, the story of, of Joseph, God's way up is down. Everything is failure. Paul, at the end, I, I want to read a quote from Paul here, but it, the best part of his life was spent in jail. He's starting all these churches and accomplishing all this, and God just cuts that off. And he spends the rest of his life in jail. But what happens? He writes the Bible. He could have been stuck in negativity, but this is what he says. For I am already being poured out. He's writing this to Timothy, who's also a part of this team, later on, who's a little bit discouraged about his life and thinking he should be accomplishing, and he's, he's lost sight of the present and the future hope. And Paul writes, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering at the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me a crown. He says, I did all of that, and I see all of that. The present and the future glory, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on the day. And not only me, but all who have longed for his appearing. You see, we really don't long for his appearing. At the end, unless we long for his presence now, and we stop and we steep in his presence deeply, we may long for him to exit us stage left at the end of the age, but that's far different than what Paul is talking about, because those who love his appearing are available for his presence when they're stuck in traffic, when they're going to their appointment to have their teeth cleaned at the dentist, 
or, or whatever else is on your list, you know. That side of the family's coming for the holidays. These are marvelous opportunities to say if God is God, then God is God. The message of the blessed hope is in its reason, but it's also in its teaching. And I, and I might say that uh, when, when the great teachers of the New Testament teach about the second coming, it's, it's pretty shy and it's pretty straightforward. You have to go to the apocalyptic language to get all the, the theories and all that kind of stuff. But the, the early church didn't seem to be too interested in that. I, I wonder why. They seem to be more interested in God. Look at verses 15 through 18 with me. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from the heavens with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. That's the word to circle. That's the, that's, that's the piece, caught up. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. And I'm, I'm just going to hold off on verse 18. We'll come back to it. So there's basically three things that we really need to hold on to if we want the full sense of the hope of Christ and we want Christ and not just what Christ does for us. We want him more than we want his blessing. The three things are this. The Lord is coming. You know, the bridge isn't out. Jesus is coming back. Uh, I, I, back to that whole idea of the fear uh, back in the late 60s and 70s when I, the Jesus movement and I first came to, to Christ, I can remember this, uh, uh, this uh, bumper sticker on the car that says, Christ is coming, look busy. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, the Lord is coming back for dead and alive. Uh, number two, the dead will rise First, and of course, this is companion to Second uh, Corinthians five, seven, and eight. Who, who you know that says to be uh, absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So, so the dead are, are are in Christ and with Christ. But then this is, and this is where it gets a little dicey. But just hang in there with me. The living will be caught up with those at that time, and they will be with Jesus. So there's this whole question here. How does that timing work? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm imagining now uh, uh, some dear soul like, let's say, Abraham Lincoln is, is rising, you know, out of that little uh, bedroom across from the, the Ford Theater, you know, at the same time that at the second coming, I'm, I'm just at his boot heel. That's what he's talking about here. How does God do that? Easy. He's God. That's all Paul expects us to understand. That God is God. And that he's going to, this whole thing about being caught up and all the time. And, and you can go throughout your Bible and, and, and find God saying, my ways are not your ways, my words are not your words. But my days uh, are a thousand years and a thousand years are as one day. God owns time. 
You know, there's chronos time, which is, you know, I've, I've got 20 minutes, 15 minutes left of this sermon, right? Uh, but there's karyos time. There's this spiritual time that God wants to talk about that, that doesn't fit our punch clock society, our I've only got so much time left. God's got all the time in the world, and he's holding all of that. So here's, here's the thought if you think about that. You see, with... God wants us to live off of his promises, not on speculations that tickle and satisfy our minds about the second coming. Can you get that? Drive by, drive by the Walmart, by the way, uh, in, uh, in Jackson, where a guy has assembled a big sign. I think uh, the last time I drove by, 1,732 days for the return of the Lord. It's crazy. You see, what about the Lord that wants to be with us right here, right now, with our hearts? God wants us to live off the, the promises. You see, the truth brings hope, not speculation. Speculation always keeps us kind of on, on loose edges. Paul and Jesus offer little more about the second coming than what we've already understood and taken by faith. By the way, the Pharisees, the high intellectuals that they were, had it all worked out, did they not? And yet they missed the first coming of Jesus. They had all the prophecies lined up, and they missed it that way. Wouldn't it strike us as, as kind of a, a rerun? That all these people that are thinking they know something uh, may know nothing at all. And to have true knowledge, to use the word of knowledge in a biblical way is have a deep abiding relationship with Jesus until the end, whenever he calls it. Now verse 18. After this small teaching, this is what Paul says. Therefore, you know, no charts, no timelines. He just says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Are we willing by faith to do more with less? Or do we have to satisfy our curiosity? Is God really in the deck, in the dock, trying to prove himself to us? Or are we standing before the throne of glory, hands up, saying, This is God, saying, Encourage each other with this word. Finally then, the message of the blessed hope comes not only with reason and teaching, it comes with its warning. And here we dip into chapter 5 before we finish this off next week. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Into that, I don't know why we're not going with that. It's, it, okay, we're going with it from here on, okay? While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as the labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Two things about the warning. First, no one's going to know. In fact, Jesus, you know, in all of his security with, with his heavenly father says, I don't even know. 
How do you like them apples? The guy at Walmart knows. <laughs> really? The guy that sold millions of those books know. Really? I wonder. I wonder. Can we leave it at that? Nobody will know. But the second part of the warning comes comes in verse 3 there. Everyone will be tempted. No one will know, but everyone will be tempted to grab on to something just a little more firm than than no, no one will know. God longs that we know and trust Him, not what people say about God. And I think that's pretty important. That in that in that sense of things, there's something uh, very well to be attuned to. This, this quote just happened to be at the top of my joke, but I, I, I hadn't even looked at it till last night. Facts are not decided by how many people believe them. Boy, that's a word for today. And truth is not determined by how loudly it is shouted. You see, God's calling us to some important stuff here. And, and he's saying, I, 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 I dearly long for you and I want you to be close in to me. These last days are going to be rough. And you're going to need a life-sustaining relationship with me. And there's no amount of information I could give you, Jesus would say to us, this morning, even if I could give it to you, that's going to be any more important than a hold firm grip on the nail-scarred hand of Jesus as we enter into eternity whenever it comes and however it comes. Because a hold on the nail-scarred hand of Jesus is going to work every day between now and when he does come. The other stuff Probably not so much. Application, a couple questions here, but I just, I just thought since we've, we've, we've brought the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, we probably ought to do a fair time to all sides. This is what Peter says. This is 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I, you know, these guys are all on the same page. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. But his last verse, like Paul's verse 18, encourage each other, his last verse 11 is this. And I, and I find this the point of everything that I want to say this morning. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What is God calling us to? To, to be eschatological scholars? Or is God calling us to be the people of God? What kind of people ought we to be? What is the most important thing? I know, I hope I'm getting the fill in the blanks. But yes, so what is the most important? And what are you living for? 
I can say clearly after having been in ministry for a number of years, this has been one of the most fascinating years in my life, being with you. I wouldn't have thought it so at the outset, but it has. And, and this chapel family is right on the cusp of something that God wants to do. Your leadership team is inviting more people into the center of leadership who will touch more people outside of the center of leadership that is going to create a sense of of greater communication and ability to do ministry here at chapel. Very exciting time. We're all out on a real long branch. We kind of got everyone together last Wednesday night, and, and we're, we're expecting to see more people join us. Uh, that's all of you. And everybody is going to be at task. If we're going to do what, what Marilyn talked about us doing several months when she coined the frame, we're rebirthing chapel. Thank you. We're rebirthing chapel. Well, God is. Then that means everyone here today is going to have to respond in some way. And when we talk next week, we're going to outline this uh, pretty specifically so you get that. But be prepared. Chapel, calling a new pastor, if this were to work out, if, if, if Rob's prayer is answered, doesn't mean, oh, okay, back to normal. This is, that's been a couple of years of, boy, I'm going to be glad to get back to the old chapel. Ain't going back, folks. It can't happen. We've got to go forward. We, we've, we've got to add more, not to what we're doing, but we've got to fundamentally quit coming to church and be the church. Be the church that the New Testament talks about and the Old Testament foretold. And I want to put that together for you next week in, in, really, in, in really solid ways. But I'll leave you with this challenge as we close this morning. And here's my challenge to you. If I could promise to you that next Sunday at 10.15, Jesus was going to give the sermon from this pulpit. How would you live the next seven days of your life? Who would you call? Who would you email? Who would you pray for? Who would you weep for? What would you do with your life if there were seven 24-hour days and that was it? What would happen? You see, this is the power of what Jesus, Peter, and Paul are proclaiming here. That like a thief in the night, and no one knows, and there'll be great temptation, but we must move forward. Are we together? Or is the bridge out? Are we going, do we have a substantial message on the sign out front instead of the sign at Walmart? Is it about all of our accomplishments and how wonderful our club is here? Or are we falling in love with Jesus for an eternity and we can't stand that, that, that someone we love or we don't even know is 
possibly, could possibly, remotely or otherwise, miss the train unless we said something and we encouraged them.